Good afternoon. This is Dr. John Hunt for Let's Talk Animals from Aardvarks to Zebras. We're here every fourth Thursday at four o'clock in the afternoon. This particular program is taped, so my listeners can't call in. Uh, I keep saying this every month, but eventually I'll get up to the studio and we'll have a live broadcast. I also like to advertise my Pet Sounds, which is 7.30 on a Sunday morning as you're sipping your coffee and tea. Uh, I address all sorts of different issues, so please tune in at 7.30. That's a five-minute short. Uh, today, uh, I'm real excited. This is, this is going to be a fun, uh, fun Let's Talk Animals. We're going to be talking about uh, bees. And I have uh, with me as my guest, Tira McKelvey, who lives in Washington, the state of Washington and is part of a uh, company, which we'll talk about, called Rent Mason Bees. And we're going to be talking about solitary bees, mason bees, and leaf cutters as well, and how important they are. And I want to say good afternoon uh, to Tira. How are you today? Hello. I'm very excited to teach more people about these incredible pollinators. So thank you so much for having me. I'm sorry. I just I just went off. I pushed my computer off here. There. Can you hear me? I can. Yes. Okay. Okay. So you're. I'm sorry. I didn't get your response. I turned off. My oh, no worries. I said I'm. I'm very excited um, to be teaching more people about these incredible little pollinators. So thank you so much for having me today. Well, it's a pleasure having you here. And first, as I as I ask all my guests, how did you get here from there? Yeah, you know, I, uh, well, it could be long or short, but I, I have young kids and my daughter was terrified of bees and uh, my husband wanted to get a beehive because we lived in some woods and I said, absolutely not, not with, we're not with kids and play dates and everything over at our house. Um, with a honeybee hive, and they're a lot of work. And so I was at a farmer's market one day, and um, Rent Mason Bees had a booth there, and they were selling um, mason bee kits and teaching people about solitary bees. And they don't sting, there's zero to no maintenance, you just hang them up and they pollinate. And I walked home that day with a mason bee kit, my first one, and um, my daughter was not afraid of little solitary bees because they don't sting and and they are so cute. She actually fell in love with them and wanted to go out every day and watch them in the garden. And so um, I just have been working with the company um, for, gosh, I think almost five years now. And I now run the Rent Mason Bees side, which is the gardening side of our program. And I run the pollination program. So I get to work with host and backyard gardeners. I will drop in on Google Earth to backyards all over the country. It's really fascinating. That's how I get to travel right now and through Google Earth. And I just love to teach people about solitary bees. So I am very passionate about it and how we can help our pollinators and uh, just teach more people. So that's kind of my passion. How did you find the the business, um, the rent Mason B business? You said you was it a, a business that uh, you bought your original solitary bee 
Um, yeah. So I was at that farmer's market and they had a, a booth there and um, I, they were talking about solitary bees. And I walked home with my first kit and then just really got involved with the company. Um, at the time, I, I was uh, designing websites and um, handling marketing and uh, communications for different firms. And they uh, asked if I would be interested in, in you know, working with them. And I just jumped at the opportunity because I just love what they're doing for our planet and what they're doing for pollinators. And so, yeah, ever since then, I've, I've been working with them. And um, just this past year, um, they've had me um, take on the Rent Mason Bee side uh, because the Watts Solitary Bee side is our parent company. And Watts Solitary Bees works with all of our farmers um, because more and more farmers are needing um, solitary bees to pollinate all the food that we're consuming. So um, I handle the garden side and my the owner, Jim Watts, handles the Watts solitary bee sides and he works with farmers all across the country. Well, we're, 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 you're talking about solitary bees. Uh, that, that word solitary comes up often in, in your conversation. So I think it's it's good time in our uh, interview here to talk about bees in general. I think all of us are very familiar with the honeybee uh-huh. and the colonies and their nesting and they have a division of labor and they have worker bees and they have queens and they have the drones, the males and have they make honey. Um, and that has nothing to do with this whole thousands of other species of what they call solitary bees. So what are the features of the solitary bee that is different than the, um, like the honeybee? Yes. Great question. So um, here's some fun stats and data. So there are over 20,000 species of bees worldwide and 90% of them are solitary. And solitary means they work alone, they find their own food, Um, each female lays all her own eggs, and then she collects, if it's a mason bee, she collects the mud to then plug the mud holes and lay her babies. Um, And since they don't have a queen or a hive to protect, they are non-aggressive. They are the sweetest little bees um, that you can watch. You can go right up to their nesting block and watch them. Um, And that's another key differentiator is they they don't have a hive. So solitary bees, you don't have a hive. That's a honeybee hive. Solitary bees have what's called nesting blocks. Um, They don't have mandibles that are strong enough to chew through wood. So mason bees and leafcutter bee mandibles aren't strong enough to chew through wood. And I clarify that because a carpenter bee is also a solitary bee and carpenter bee mandibles do chew through wood. So we get asked that question a lot of time. Oh my gosh, the mason bees are destroying my house. Those aren't the mason bees. Those would be the carpenter bees. Mason bee mandibles aren't strong enough and they have to go find natural holes in their environment in order to lay their babies. So they'll go in in nature, they'll find um, a tree with woodpecker holes or beetle holes or reeds or your nesting blocks in your yard. Um, So they're very, very different from honeybees. They're low maintenance, if any, you just hang up a nesting block or hang up a shelter and put a nesting block and you release bees back out into the environment. So um, they're a lot easier to take care of than, than honeybees. And I don't know if you want me to talk about it now or if you want it to, to talk about it in a little bit, but the way they pollinate is so much different. They, they're incredible pollinators. We'll talk about that in a minute. The uh, yeah. belly flopping. 
that they do. Yes, belly floppers. That's right. <laughs> the, the carpenter bees. My my brother in law lives down in uh, South Carolina, and they really are a problem with houses. I mean, yeah. it's a serious, serious problem. So, but so we don't want to lump our mason bees with those guys. No. No, they're completely different. Thank you. Yeah, that's carpenter good to bees clarify. bad, mason bees good. Well, you know, yes, and I mean, I mean being an advocate for, for all our pollinators, I think all all I mean, carpenter bees, we don't like them for our homes, but as far as a pollinator goes, they're incredible little pollinators. Um, but yeah, they they do, and, and you know, on our blog, we talk about different ways of saving your home. Like if you are getting attacked by carpenter bees, not, a, not attacked, but if carpenter bees are utilizing your home, there's different things you can do to the wood to make them stop. So um, you can research things like that online to naturally find ways of, of helping your wood and your house and stuff. So. Well, good. So they don't make honey. They don't make honey. No, that's another good question we get asked. They don't make honey. Um, so yeah, they, they, all, you know, their main purpose in life is to pollinate and lay babies um, and pollinate, meaning they're getting the food from the flowers. And it, during that process, they're pollinating. Um, but no, they don't make honey. They're, they're low maintenance. They're the easiest little bees to host in your backyard. So, And yet um, with the honeybee, they lay thousands, the, the queen lays thousands of eggs. But how yeah. many eggs does a, a life of, a, of one, a one female solitary mason bee? Yeah, those those queen honeybees lay about 2,000 eggs a day. Solitary mason bees lay uh, 15 eggs in their lifetime, and they have a much different life cycle than the honeybee. I don't know if you want me to chat about their life cycle now, um, but their life cycle is completely different than a honeybee. So let's, yeah, let's jump into that because it's something it's it's fascinating. Yeah, uh, the life cycle. So where would you like to start when they emerge? Yeah. So let's talk about, yeah. So, um, yeah, so let's talk about their life cycle. So they, um, they are similar to a butterfly. Like I I work with a lot of teachers that use this, our program as a science curriculum. So I, I like to, you'll hear a lot of terms that are visual terms for people, but, um, they, um, hibernate in cocoons. They're like a butterfly. So they hibernate in those cocoons all winter long, and then they emerge in springtime. So mason bees are spring pollinators. They um, emerge when temperatures reach about 55 degrees. Um, The males will come out first and you can identify the males because they have like a little white tuft of hair on their head. They'll emerge first and then the females will emerge about a week and a half, two weeks later. Um, They will pollinate, they'll enrich your habitat. When you're releasing solitary bees back into your environment, you're helping enrich your habitat and your ecosystem because they are such incredible pollinators. Um, And then they're going to go find natural holes in their environment. So they'll either choose your nesting block or they'll find natural holes. They'll lay their babies, about 15 babies in their lifetime. And then um, those adult bees will, will die. And then the, how they'll go in and I guess I should back up how they're laying their babies. So the mason bees will find those natural holes and they'll crawl into that hole and they'll lay a mud plug. And then she'll go and she'll collect pollen loaf and she'll go in and she'll make a little pollen loaf for her baby. And then she'll go in and lay the larvae next to the pollen loaf. 
And then she'll cap that cell with mud. So it'll be a mud, pollen, baby, mud, mud, pollen, baby, mud. And there'll be a cell of babies, about five to seven in each hole. And then that little larva will eat the pollen and it will turn into a chubby larva. And if you have time, you can check out our YouTube video. Um, I did a three-part series of what are your baby bees doing where I open up the nesting block and I show you this whole life cycle of the, of the baby bees. But that little larvae will consume all of the pollen that its mom left. And then at that point, it will start spinning a silk cocoon and it'll spin that silk cocoon and then it'll hibernate in that cocoon all winter long and again, emerge in spring when temperatures reach 55 degrees. So um, they have a much different life cycle than a honeybee queen who lays, you know, 2000 bees a day. Um, so yeah, we really need to help our little Mason bees because they're only 15 bees in their lifetime. So they're much different life cycle and reproduction system. So so what are the males doing all this time? Yeah, well, so the males will emerge. Um, when you see a male emerge, if you're using our program, you'll see that they have like a little scent mark, whether it's on your nesting house, wherever they're emerged from, they'll mark a little scent. They'll go out and kind of scout the area. Um, and then they're going to just wait for the females to emerge as well. And then they will, um, kid term, give a couple piggy piggyback rides and then, um, they will, they'll be on their way as well. So they just, um, keep, they just keep doing that. They feed and mate, yeah, mate, feed yeah. and mate and feed. And then the, when the females mated, they only mate once. Um, do they know geez, that's, that's a good question. I don't know how many times they made probably more than once, just because there um, aren't as many males as females. So, oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. And then the, then the female starts to, after they mate, they collect food and, and find their nest. They do. Yeah. Yeah. So solitary being by themselves, each female lays all her own eggs. So she's not aggressive at all. She doesn't care about you in your garden. She's so docile and sweet and friendly. So well, they remind me of my favorite bumblebees. Yes. Bumblebees are like, I love bumblebees. They're my, yes. They're my Very sweet animal. little bees. They are. Yeah. Uh, we've had a couple of shows on bumblebees. So I'm glad the mason oh, bees getting a good, good. Good. Yeah. All our pollinators. I love all our pollinators. Now, what is, if someone is out there thinking, okay, there's a, the nest is a long tube. And their cells mm-hmm. of the egg and what the, we call a, a pollen loaf. Pollen loaf. I mean, it's and just a loaf the is a what? Pollen. It reminds me of a little thing of bread. It is. Yeah. So we have some really great educational videos, but a pollen loaf, um, it, you know, she collects that pollen and then it kind of packs together. So it's like a little loaf of pollen. Just um, pollen? Not pollen. Uh, yeah. Pollen that she puts for the baby to eat. Okay. Is there yeah. a difference between pollen and nectar? Nectar is what they drink. What nectar is the food that they eat. So they have that little long tongue, like. Okay. So they eat the nectar, yeah. but the pollen loaf is just a pollen. Yeah. Pollen is what they'll collect to give to the babies. Okay. So, yeah. So you have this picture, let's say picture of like a straw. Mm-hmm. And in that straw, you have these little cells. Mm-hmm. And you said that the males come out first. Yes. When's if there's a male in the back of the straw? How's it get through all the females? So with the female bee, when she's laying her bees, she knows which ones are males and females. So she will lay the females in the back and the males in the front. So it's mother's mother nature's way of, um, yeah, these bees just naturally know what they have. So that that is really amazing. Yes. So you, you may not, 
I don't know if you can answer this question. So after the males come out ahead of, and they're already ahead of the line anyway, mm-hmm. uh, they have to chew through the mud wall. Yes. Right. Yes. As adults, and their their mandibles are strong enough for that. Oh yeah, mud is mud. Mud is pliable, like okay. you know. Plus, yeah, yeah. So, I take it then the females kind of have to wait in line. There's like three or four or five females in one little nest. To right. Well, the boys them. have done all the work of paving the way for the girls. So they, so. they just go right through. Okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, mud. What's What's the definition of mud in a solitary bee's life? What do you mean so, by mud? Yeah, so they need a clay mud-based consistency. Um, you can get it at your nurseries. If you um, purchase one of our Mason Bee kits, we give you a clay mud consistency little bag. It comes. With, we, we provide kits that come with everything you need. Um, that if you're doing it yourself and you don't have a clay based mud in your garden or your yard, you want to provide something for them because that's what they use to go in and those nesting chambers and, and lay their babies. Um, so you want to put that hole, a mud hole anywhere from 30 to 50 feet from where they emerge from your nesting, nesting house. Um, and yeah, they'll go collect. You want to keep it damp as well. They need it damp in your garden. So it can't dry up. If you have hot temperatures, you've got to make sure that 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 stays moist. Um, my son's job was to go out and water the mud and stir it with a stick. <laughs> that was his job. So if you have hey, young kids, you can assign perfect. them to stir the mud. So they loved it. And it's really fun because, you know, you can watch them. You'll see them go down into the mud and collect it and then fly back to your Mason B house. So. So within 30 to 50 feet of where they emerged. Yeah. yeah. So when they emerge and they're out collecting and mating and stuff, uh, how far away from where they emerge will they find a nest? Good question. So miles or? 300 feet. They typically fly about 300 feet from where they emerge. And um, they are much hardier than the honeybees because honeybees, um, I don't know the distance that they fly, but they, they fly quite, quite long distances, whereas the solitary bees are, mason bees at least, are about 300 feet from where they emerge. So. So the spread of the solitary bee is pretty slow year to year. It's like 300 feet. Yeah. Yeah. But that's why um, they do really well in orchards and farms. Um, We work with a lot of hosts that have great backyards. Um, They love like big leaf maples or um, uh, madrona trees. There's a lot of flowering trees that you have, you know, big trees in your yard, um, fruit trees is a huge thing. If you have any type of fruit tree, then mason bees is the way to go because they uh, three to five mason bees will pollinate an entire apple tree. Um, and I, can I talk a little bit about how they pollinate differently than the the honeybees do? Yeah, let's go for it. Okay, yep. so this is fascinating to me. So, um, and you we mentioned a, a earlier about belly floppers. So it's a good visual way to describe mason bees. So mason bees are kind of your slow moving, bopping around, fly around to your flowers and they flop onto the flowers. They belly flop onto them. And they have what's called on their bellies and their bodies, scopa. And it's S-C-O-P-A. And scopa is tiny little hairs all over their body. So when they belly flop onto that flower, the pollen gets all over their bodies. Um, Honeybees, when they go and they pollinate, they're very meticulous in how they have to collect pollen because they're taking that pollen right back to the hive 
to feed all the worker bees and to make the honey. So honeybees collected on their back legs. And so uh, honeybees pollinate 5% of the flowers they land on. Solitary bees, because of the belly flop, get the pollen all over their scopa and their bellies. They pollinate 95% of the flowers they land on. And because they're such amazing pollinators and they flop around from one flower to another, they pollinate about 2,000 flowers a day. So in nature, they are one of Mother Nature's best pollinators that we really need to protect and take care of. We need to release more of them into our environment, and we need to make sure not to do sprays and pesticides um, because it's really important for our little pollinators to go out and enrich our habitat and our ecosystem. So, yeah, so that they're remarkable little belly floppers. So, so when they belly flop, the pollen's all over their body. They mm-hmm. go to the next flower and they belly flop and the pollen mm-hmm. on the body gets mixed in with the pollen or, or that's right. Chops off. Okay. So the, the honeybee has it in their the little, little yellow. If you look really carefully, the back yep. of their legs had like a, looks like a little yellow blob, which is the yeah. pollen. Little pockets, little pockets in the back legs. So they, so when they go to another flower, they may, that pollen may not get deposited. Correct. Not, okay. So that's why it's a 5%. Okay. Yeah. And if you have, we hear from hosts all over and the farmers we work with, um, you will get a huge return of yield on your fruit with solitary bees because of the way they pollinate, because they are going to enrich and pollinate those blooms. They're going to go from one bloom to the next, and you're going to get a lot more fruit on your trees. Is there a, um, in terms of feeding and in nesting, any kind of, uh, territoriality going on with, with no, solitaries? No, we get asked that question a lot. Can they get along with the honeybees and can they get along with the bumblebees? And yeah, they get along with all of them. And people are always worried, well, is there enough food for all of the bees? And yes, there's enough food, there's enough nectar and um, they all get along. There's never been any issues that we've ever recorded. We've been doing this for close to 70 years now. Um, there have never been any reported issues of bees attacking other bees or anything like that. They just all want to just pollinate and get along. And because mason bees are solitary, you know, they just need to find a, a nesting hole that to lay their babies. And if you have your nesting block, you'll have one bee that will pick a hole and that will be her hole. And then another mason bee might come along and see that, that somebody's already using it. So she'll find another hole that's empty and then she'll start her laying of her babies. That also can be my next question. So when you have more than one solitary uh, bee in a nesting box, you'll have a couple nests close to each other and they don't mind being close. No. Nope. Okay. So there's not a, a problem with that. Nope. Not no a bickering. problem at all. Good name. No bickering. Okay. No bickering. And they're, they're honestly, they're so much fun to watch. They are just, you, you can watch some of the videos on YouTube, but I stand right next to the block and watch them go in. And I love having you, our kids go in and study bees. Um, we have, uh, on our website under the learning center, you can click that button and then click the youth program under that page. We have a whole educational program for our youth to teach them about pollinators. And we provide free printable workbooks, worksheets, great videos to show kids. Um, PBS did this beautiful video about Mason bees that there's no way I could have replicated it. It is a gorgeous video on the life cycle of Mason bees. And um, so we really want our kids to get out and become backyard scientists in their yards and study bees. 
and they can identify the different bees in their garden. Um, you know, the blue orchard mason bee um, here in the Western United States, that is an iridescent green sheen. It looks like a housefly. Um, my daughter used to call them mermaid bees. So in that curriculum, we'll have the kids go out and count how many mermaid bees they can find. Um, in the Midwest and East Coast, um, you have like a little brown fuzzy bee, but you're going to be able to identify that mason bee because it has pollen all over its body. So you'll be able to go out in your yard and, um, you know, see the difference between the bee species that are in your yard and um, just really get to enjoy them. And, and you get to become a backyard scientist in your own yard, which I love my host to go out and, you know, I'll say, hey, if you don't know what blooms in springtime, now's the time to grab a journal write down what blooms, take a picture of it and figure out what, what it is so that um, you can plant more of it or you can see what the bees are attracted to and just become engaged in your backyard. Really get in touch with nature and your little pollinators and everything you have in your yard. So it's a great opportunity. This is Dr. John Hunt for Let's Talk Animals from Aardvarks to Zebras on WERU in East Orland, Maine. And we're talking to Tira McKelvey of the uh, Rent Mason Bees uh, Company that uh, we're talking about solitary bees. And uh, one thing I wanted just to emphasize is out east is a different mason bee than out west. The out east is called the horn-faced mason bee, correct? Yes. And how do they look again? What do they look like besides being all covered with pollen? <laughs> yeah. Besides, if you get past the pollen, um, they are kind of a brown fluffy bee. You're, you're not going to see the, um, how big are they stripes? Um, size wise. I, I mean, they're the size of your normal standard bee. Okay. So I mean, like a, like a honeybee, like a honeybee size, okay. but fluffy, they're brown and fluffy. They're not, okay. they don't have the stripes on them. Like, like the black and yellow stripes, like a honeybee. Um, so, uh, and yeah, the blue orchard bee, they're iridescent green sheen. They really, truly look like a housefly. Um, but you'd never know it, I, before I started here, I didn't even know what a Mason bee was. So now, so now, I, now I spot them. <clears throat> you think we've seen them? Cause I, I'm trying to think back when I, so I'm always looking at the bees and of course I'm always looking for the bumblebees cause they're, I'm in love with them. Yeah. But then I see wasps yeah. and I see the honeybee. So yep. they, they, the solitaries must be there. I'm just not looking for them. I mean, well, what, how do you look for them? Yeah. So there's over 4,000 species of solid, of, uh, of solitary bees in North America. So they're out there. Um, the thing is, is that over time, you know, just like our honeybees are on the decline, all our pollinators are on the decline because of pesticides and chemicals that people are using or overdevelopment in populations where we're tearing down trees and habitat for them. So um, it is really important whether you raise your own solitary bees or you rent the blocks from us and release bees into your environment. Um, it is really important to, um, you know, give back and replenish their solitary bee population because, um, you know, as, as humans, we're, we're not taking the greatest care of our environment. And so it starts with one person at a time <clears throat> teaching those neighbors. Um, we have created um, if I can share with you really quick, I had a host last year contact me <clears throat> very upset because um, all his mason bees died. Um, he went out of town on vacation. He had his mason bee house hanging on his fence and uh, he came back and his neighbor had sprayed pesticides and it had killed all the pollinators, all his mason bees. And so that night we went home or I went home and I made a pollinators at work sign. 
um, that shows pictures. It talks about how they don't sting because, you know, a lot of neighbors and a lot of people hear the word bee and they get scared. Just like my daughter, when we first started this program, terrified of bees. Well, solitary mason bees and leafcutter bees are some of the sweetest bees you can have. They don't sting. They're non-aggressive. And so, um, you know, I made this sign for people to laminate and hang up next to their bee house if they're in a high traffic area to teach. They can print off this little sign and put in their neighbor's mailboxes to kind of teach them, you know, please don't spray pesticides. I'm, you know, raising these sweet little bees. Um, so it's going to take a lot of us to raise our voices and teach people because, um, you know, I'm, I'm still, you know, the article Birds in Bloom magazine did a great article um, about solitary bees. Mother Earth News, um, we wrote an article for them and they put it on the cover story of Mother Earth News. And so these little bees are finally starting to get the recognition they really deserve. Um, honey, everybody knows what a honeybee is, but solitary, not a lot of people know. Solitary, mason bees, leafcutter bees, you know, over 90% of, of our bee population are solitary bees. So I'm just excited, even, even today talking with you, John, I'm just really excited to teach more people because you're going to start hearing more about them. And then as a group, as a unit, we can all come together and help all our pollinators. So. And just a plug for forest management. <clears throat> a lot of people in their yards and suburbs think that they have to clean up. If they have a little patch of woods, they want to clean up all the dead wood and, and make sure it's all looks, looks really nice. Yeah. And uh, I, I keep telling people, even where I live, we have, uh, we're kind of borderline in some wetlands. And so my neighbors want to make sure the trees that have tipped over to get them cleaned up. And I said, no, don't, don't. There's no. so much that dead trees. Yeah. And this is one example. This is, this is a home for yeah. many, many animals, including our solitary bees. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And now the males don't even have stingers. No, the males they're, don't have stingers at all. Sting at all. So you don't have to worry about them. And, and female, the females have, yeah. So the females have little tiny stingers, but they're not like your typical honeybee. They don't have the anaphylactic shock. Um, it feels more like a pinch. It feels more like a mosquito bite. Um, and no allergic so reactions you, from what I know. No. Yeah. You don't have to worry about them. Um, you know, they have those little mandibles, so, you know, they, they don't, they don't bite, they don't sting. Um, but you know, if one gets caught up under your watch, then, you know, it gets squished then. Yeah. I mean, you're going to get a pinch from that, but you don't have to worry about um, them chasing you or coming after you or anything like that. Cause they, they really don't care. And you, if you swing <laughs> at it and swat at them again, they're not going to come and attack you They They don't ever go on the attack because there's nothing for them to, to protect. So that's a, that's a very good point. Since they're solitary, they're not trying to defend a hive. Right. Like you just step on a yellow jacket nest in the ground. Oh, you're right. You're done. You're done. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Personal experience. Yes. Yes, exactly. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, so what uh, flowers do they like? Yeah. So depending on your zone and what region you're in, um, I, I get asked that question. And I actually send people to um, an organization that we really respect and love. It's called pollinator.org. Um, they um, are big advocates for all of our pollinators 
And they have this really great um, link on their website for bee friendly um, gardening, where you can click it and enter your zip code. And then they have these beautiful, they call them recipe cards. They're these beautiful cards that um, visually shows you what you should plant in your region to support pollinators. And it's a great program. Um, We also work with a group called Bee Friendly. You can find them on Facebook. Um, And also on Facebook, we we love sending people to pollinator-friendly yards. Um, To your point, leaving the leaves and leaving the dead trees, um, those are pollinator-friendly yards. Um, You know, not not bee-related, but the dead leaves that are on your ground that fall in the fall time, you know, those are um, caterpillars have used those to wrap themselves up and then, you know, they'll emerge as moths or butterflies. Um, So people that blow their leaves or, you know, right, just keep them until springtime when everything's emerged, because, you know, if if we're blowing our leaves or chopping them up, well, you're also chopping up the caterpillars that then turn into moths that then feed the birds. And, you know, it just, it's a life cycle for everybody. So so it really depends on where you live. Like in Maine, it'd be different. Yeah. Obviously. But you also said they, they do a lot of pollinating of trees um, and other wild flowers or wild plants. Yeah. And doesn't that actually help the, the strength of the genetics? Yes. Yeah. So because they're because of that. Yeah, native. So, so here's the another cool thing about solitary bees is they since as you all know now they pollinate so much differently than the honeybees. Um, the way they belly flop onto those flowers, they're able to enrich the native plants that are in your habitat, and they are not picky eaters. They will pollinate anything in their environment that has a bloom or has something that needs to be pollinated. Um, we haven't talked about leaf cutter bees yet, um, but leaf cutter bees are much smaller bee. Um, if they are also a solitary bee, um, they are the only little pollinators that can pollinate alfalfa. And alfalfa is one of our biggest crops for feeding animals. Um, and the little alfalfa flower has a pistol that triggers when a pollinator lands on it and bees, honeybees and other larger bees hate it. They don't like it. So they won't touch the purple flower of the alfalfa. Um, but leafcutter bees have no problem and they go in and they've actually saved, there's articles you can read about it, but leafcutters actually saved the whole alfalfa crops many, many decades ago because they were the ones that were able to enrich and pollinate alfalfa. So so you said that the mason bees are spring bees. Does that mean they die? Yeah. So their life how cycle long do they live? is four to six weeks. That's it. That's it. Yeah. So it's really important if you're wanting to host or get mason bees that um, it's the springtime. Temperatures are 55 degrees. They are your spring pollinators. Um, leaf cutter bees are your summer pollinators. And you don't have the blocks out at the same time. That's something that's really, really important for people. I mean, we can get into whole, I think hopefully we can talk about how to be successful hosts and what to do with that. Um, But if you have a spring mason bee nesting block, you have to take that and remove it from your yard and put it in a cool garage or shed over summer. You cannot leave those nesting blocks out. The mason bees will be done flying four to six weeks, and then you remove that nesting block. If you don't, there's summer predators that can get into it. Monowasps, there's birds that'll go peck at your stuff. So you want to make sure to protect your mason bees that have laid their eggs and are now forming cocoons. You just very gently remove that nesting block. 
And then if you have a leaf cutter block, you then insert the leaf cutter block back into the shelter. And then it's the leaf cutter bees turns to pollinate over summer. So if you have a vegetable garden, summer vegetables, that's where the leaf cutter bees are incredible for your vegetable gardens. We know, let's talk about the leaf cutters for a little bit because there's a little difference. Um, mm-hmm. Before we talk about leaf cutters, I have one more question. Uh, the weather conditions, is it just temperature that uh, stimulates the larva to, or the pupa to come out and as adults, or is it just temperature or is there humidity and other factors? Yeah, so um, the the temperature is the key thing. So the 55 degrees, um, you know, a lot of times, you know, you'll have your daytime temperatures above 55 and then in the nighttime, it'll dip, you know, in the cooler, cooler range. That's okay. Bees will generate their own heat. They'll go and crawl into that little hole and generate their own heat. But as long as they wake up the, so you need to hang your nesting block south facing so that they get that morning sun. And we paint our houses black to attract the sun and warm it up even more. And so, yeah, the temperature needs to be about 55 degrees for mason bees and about 75 degrees for leaf cutter bees. So do you know, I don't know if you know this because you're out West, are the leaf cutters not as prevalent out here in the uh, Northeast? Oh, because... no, there there's leaf cutters all over the country. Oh, okay. Yeah. So um, with our bees, we, we are one of the largest providers of solitary bees in the country and the largest provider for farmers. And we have to follow strict um, guidelines with the Orchard Bee Association on what bees we send. And so leafcutter bees can go all over the country. And then um, the Osmia lignaria goes to the West Coast and the Osmia cornifrons goes to the Midwest and the East Coast. So um, we make sure to send bees that are established in those regions and then we separate them by the region as well. So... And leaf cutters are, they're just as fascinating. I mean, it's just, yeah. it's just yeah. amazing. There's some very, very distinct differences in their life cycle. Could you yes. go over that in terms of yes, the, yes. cocoon so, and no cocoon, uh-huh. all that kind of stuff? Just kind That's of run it right. through. Yeah, they're, my, they're, uh, a lot, they're a lot different, but just as important because of, they are also belly floppers as well. So, um, you know, mason bees, like I said, are the slow moving the bop bee that just kind of flop around leaf cutter bees are tiny they're smaller little bees which is again why they can get into those alfalfa flowers and your vegetable garden um they are a fast moving bee i kind of when i watch them in their nesting block they hover like helicopters as they're trying to find a hole and they're just that fast <laughs> little bee they're harder to spot in your garden and yeah they'll zip around and they're a much quicker bee where you can spot your mason bees it might be a little harder to spot a leaf cutter bee but their life cycle is uh, similar in a way where they they also only live about four to six weeks and they pollinate when they so they'll pollinate your yard and enrich your habitat being solitary. Again, each female will lay all her own eggs, collect all her own food and pollen. But how they are different is leaf cutters. So they don't use mud like the mason bee. They use little tiny pieces of leaves or flower petals in your yard. And people always get worried like, oh, my plants are going to get ruined. Oh, I don't like the look of it. There is the t- these bees, you guys, are so tiny that the little leaf pieces that they take are super tiny. And it's 
fascinating what they do with it. So they'll take that little tiny piece of leaf, they'll crawl into that hole and that little mom will chew that leaf and make it really pliable in her mouth, really soft and squishy. And then she'll go in and she'll layer that cell with leaves and she'll go back and she'll get another leaf, sometimes a flower petal and she'll back in and she'll layer it again. And that sometimes takes her about three to five hours to do each cell not the whole row, each cell for her little baby. So they're incredibly hard workers. So in that leaf cell, then she'll lay again a pollen loaf and a little teeny tiny larva. And then she'll more do more leaves. She'll wrap that little cell. I like to call it sleeping bag. So when we work with kids or adults, it's a good visual. Like she makes a little sleeping bag for each one of her babies. Well, she'll do that about because they're tinier than the mason. She'll do that about 10 to 15 times in each cell. So now she's going to have a lot more babies in that cell. Different than the mason bees, the leaf cutter larvae hibernate over winter in the larvae state. So they don't grow into a full grown bee until they hit temperatures around 75 that wakes up the little larvae like, oh, it's time for me. So she'll start, the babies will start eating the pollen loaf. And then at that time, they'll morph into a grown bee and then they'll emerge in the summertime. So much different life cycle. Mason bees hibernate in cocoons over winter. They are a full grown bee when they emerge in spring. Leaf cutter bees hibernate in and the larvae state over winter and they won't emerge until temperatures reach 75 and then it takes them about three weeks to grow into that full grown bee. And then they'll emerge and then repeat the life cycle. They'll live about four to six weeks. They lay about 30 babies in their lifetime. Mason bees lay about 15, leaf cutters lay about 30. Um, and then again, they repeat their process and pollinate. They're the same statistics as the mason bees with their belly flopping scopa all over their belly. We have a lot of pictures on our website that you can see what they look like. They actually look more more like the honeybee because they do have the black and the yellow, um, but they're quick. You might, you might, I'm sure now listening to this, you might start identifying the different bee species in your yard, which I hope you do. I hope you become backyard scientists in your own yard and get, get in touch with nature and in touch with your little pollinators because they're so important to all of us. So what did they look like again? You started to yeah, so they look like they kind of look like a, a honeybee. They have the black and the yellow kind of stripes. There's different ones. Some of them are a little grayer and fuzzier. Um, so they it just depends if it's the boy or the girl, like how they look. But they're 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 a lot harder to spot because they fly a lot faster. They're quicker little bees. So and they're a lot smaller. You said a lot smaller. Yeah, they're tiny. Okay, so that you may you may miss them. Yeah, I think some people, I mean, we get asked about squash bees because they're so tiny. They're kind of about that size of the squash bee. And squash bees are also a solitary bee. So, yeah. Let's talk about some enemies. Oh, yes. Let's talk about the enemies. They have enemies. So, they, yes, they have predators, um, enemies, predators. Um, the, the predators that they deal with are mainly in their nesting block that they bring back to the nesting block when they're out pollinating and enriching their habitat. So the, the key things that, that we harvest and clean every fall, and I know we haven't even talked about that yet, um, but it's so important to harvest and clean your nesting blocks every 
year. Like I reiterate that over and over again on all our educational videos on YouTube, um, because the predators that get in there are pollen mites. There are millions of pollen mites when you open up a nesting chamber and you can see. So they will collect these little mites when they're out flying around on flowers and they'll bring them back into their nesting chamber when she's laying her babies and those little pollen mites will get dropped into that little cell. So remember, we have the cell of the mud, the larva, the baby, and the mud. So that cell will now have pollen mites in it. And then the pollen mites multiply like crazy. And then that's what do they eat on? What do they feed on? They eat the pollen and the larva. Oh, they'll, they eat, eat, they'll actually eat the larva? They they eat the pollen loaf. Yeah, we don't ever see the larva because the larva is so small that the pollen, it, it, they consume that. So then that whole cell will just be pollen mites. So the and, so the the lar- so the pollen mite mites eat the the loaf, not the yeah. not the bee. You know, that's a good question. I'd have to ask Jim about that because when I look at the cell, there's no, there's nothing in it. So I think they ate the larvae too, but don't quote me on that because we can look at that and get some research on that, but there is nothing left in that cell. That cell is now all pollen mites. Wow. Um, and, and yeah, so then what happens is the, the following spring, those pollen mites stay and hibernate in that cell. And then the following spring, when the big bee emerges and it crops, comes out of the cocoon, it crawls through the pollen mites to get out. Well, then all the pollen mites will cling to its back and then it will kill it. It'll be distributed everywhere else. So pollen mites is one of the worst things, one of the worst predators that we have. Um, Chalk brood is another one. Chalk brood is a fungus that they collect also when they're out on flowers. They get chalk brood, this little fungus that comes in and they bring that into the cell. And then that becomes a part and that dries up the baby larva and it kills the larva. So you'll find black, um, looks like little um, black larva that's that's dead mason bees that it's called chalk brood. And then Houdini fly are like uh, little fruit flies. Uh, they sit on the nesting block waiting for the female to leave to go collect pollen. And then that Houdini fly will fly into that hole. She'll deposit all her little larva, all her little baby right next to the pollen loaf and sometimes the mason bee baby. And then she'll cap that with a cell. And now that cell is completely full of Houdini fly at larvae. And they eat all of the pollen and then it kills the baby mason bee. And you can see some of the videos. Um, I, if you watch one of the videos on YouTube, it's called Inside a Mason and Leafcutter Bee Block on YouTube. It, I open it up and I point out and I show you these horrible little predators and why it's so important to harvest and clean. And one of the things that we do for our company is we, since we are one of the largest providers of solitary bees, we partner with research teams all over the United States um, that uh, study the environment for solitary bees, that study predators, that study soil and clay, what they like, what they don't like. Um, We're currently working right now with a research team at UC Riverside in California. We sent them vials of um, uh, pollen mites and chalk brood, and they're studying it. Um, I'm working on a, a presentation. We'll put it up on our YouTube channel, but to see these little suckers under a microscope is crazy. Like I, it's, it's amazing what these researchers are doing, but we've got to find ways of eliminating the pollenite polymites. We've got to find ways of, of completely eliminating chalk brood. Um, and so these researchers are doing that. They're, they're amazing. I've had a really great time working with them over at UC Riverside and we'll, we'll share with you some of the stuff that we've, we found what some of they found with that research. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, so those are the main predators 
um, that are in the chambers. And then you'll just have your birds and stuff too, that we'll, we'll get to them. But all you need to do, if you have any birds going after your nesting box, just get some chicken wire and, and curve it over the front entrance. Okay. And then that'll eliminate the birds. So birds and uh, no uh, predatory wasps or anything like that. Or No. Uh, well, no. Yes. So summertime, you'll have mono wasps. They're tiny, tiny little, not like your big yellow jackets and stuff, but you'll have tiny little mono wasps, like the size of fruit flies that will go in. That's why you have to remove the block in the summertime because mono wasps are summer predators. Okay. Yeah. Uh, are there any plants that are toxic? Good question. Um, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that from a pollinator friendly yard. Um, you know, what is toxic is um, slug bait and oh. weed killer. It's yeah. really horrible for, because what, what are solitary bee, what are mason bees using to plug their home, oh, their little baby's nest? Mud. Mud is in the ground. That weed killer or uh, slug bait. That's really horrible for our little pollinators. So um, we have, you know, you can find resources online or you can look at our blog. We have safe gardening practices on how to remove dandelions. Um, but dandelions, I, I, Good. I really encourage people not to pull those out because that's yeah. the first spring food. So, yeah. um, and don't ever, ever spray weeds with weed killer. Um, I walk down, um, the home Depot aisle and I see the rows and rows of weed killer. And I just cringe because it's the worst thing to spray and it kills all our pollinators. So, well, when people, when people have crabgrass, they. Yeah. Yeah. They, they don't want crabgrass in their yard and that's what they go for. Right. It's so right. hard to kill. And that's a, that's an introduced species too. That's right. It's yeah. not supposed to be here. Right. Yeah. <sighs> I know. So there's natural ways of removing that kind of stuff. Um, we, we, we have for our yard, uh, this really cool tool called a friskar. It's this, you stand upright, you punch it into the ground and you, you, it's actually pretty fun to just remove the weeds and the stuff that you don't want just by standing up. And it's a really cool lever. It's a, I don't know. It's called a friskar or something like that. It's a, it's a pretty cool device that, to remove um, weeds naturally. Oh, yeah. It just yeah. kind of plugs it in and you pop it out and it's pretty satisfying. So yeah. Now we're running out of time here. So I want oh. to talk about um, our listeners can make their yard more, uh, appealing. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of sources. The one that I had was gardening for pollination by the National Wildlife Federation. You have others, but maybe you can kind of review what kind of shelters and mm -hmm. um, environment and plants you can do in your around the house that will mm -hmm. help our little solitary bees. Yes. Yes. So we work with a lot of people that raise their own solitary bees, which we love. We love it when people raise their own. Um, and then if you, um, it, they've got to make sure to harvest and clean. Um, that's a big, big key point. If you're wanting to do your own, the old school way of doing things is drilling holes in wood and just placing the big blocks of wood out in your yard or using bamboo reeds. You guys, Please, if you know anybody that's doing that, or if you're doing that yourselves, that's the worst type of nesting material you can use for solitary bees because you cannot open it and clean up. You've got to harvest and clean your mason bees every season, every fall. Um, you know, a lot of people say, well, I haven't had any problems for years. I've had these blocks out. And over time, those blocks will turn into predator homes. And you can see on the videos, we cleaned 3 million bees this year. We opened up 
thousands of nesting blocks and every single one of them had predators in it. And if you see some of the videos on our predator research, you can see how quickly the predators multiply. And over time, if you're not harvesting and cleaning your cocoons and sterilizing your nesting blocks over flame or fire, um, you will now be providing a predator home that will decimate your solitary bee population. It will eventually harm all of your little solitary bees. So the best type of nesting material to use is the kind that you can pull apart. Um, we use stacking trays. Um, and then the other good material is uh, like paper straws that you can put in and then you can unravel and clean out the cocoons. You're gonna wanna toss away the paper straws. You can't reuse those. Um, it's really important to sterilize the nesting blocks. So once you get the cocoons out, um, you can watch our harvest video on our YouTube channel. We have the solutions and the different ways of um, washing them. Uh, and then we dry. So we do them in a mild bleach solution because those cocoons are waterproof and they're really hardy. So we will give them all a beach bath, bleach bath, very mild, because over the time we've been doing this all these, um, you know, for almost 70 years now, we've mastered the formulation of how to clean the pollen mites and the fungus off the cocoons. And so um, we give them a bath, we rinse them, we dry them on a drying rack, and then you have to hand pick. Um, if you're doing them yourself, just get a flashlight. But we have this huge light table that you can see when it's not a viable cocoon. If it's a see-through cocoon and you can see through it, that means it's no longer viable. Something got to it. Either the larvae didn't fully form or a mono wasp got to it. Something got to that larva. So we handpick literally through millions of cocoons to remove all the non-viable bees so that when we put them in winter storage, they are all healthy, strong bees, no more predators um, that they, we can, you can then release the following um, spring. As far as the nesting blocks go, if you're, if you're sterilizing your own, you have to flame them. You have to burn them. It's the only thing that we've realized uh, that we've researched that kills the fungus and kills the pollen mites. So fungus will live in those nesting chambers. Um, and same with the pollen mites. They're so microscopic. So um, you can, again, watch the harvest video. It's pretty fascinating to see how we cleaned over 3 million bees this past season. Um, but if you're doing it yourself, it's really important. Um, the top things for your yard, make sure you have, um, if you're doing mason bees, make sure you have blooms that are going to bloom early spring. Um, again, become your own backyard scientist. See what blooms. If you have fruit trees, oh my gosh, get mason bees. They're going to help you get a lot more fruit. Mason bees are incredible for fruit trees. Um, so blooms are important for spring. You need to make sure that your shelter is hung in a south facing uh, spot so it gets warm morning sun. Um, use nesting material that you can pull apart and clean. Make sure if you're doing your nest, if you're doing your mason bees first, that you're removing them at the end of spring and storing them safely in a cool garage or shed so they're not out all year round. Um, and then make sure you have a clay source. If it's mason bees, you need to have a little clay source for them 30 to 50 feet from their nesting block. And that's it. I mean, there's very low maintenance. You just hang up the black house, put the nesting block in, release your bees, done. That's all you're doing. And then you get to enjoy them in your yard. Okay, I'm a little confused then. So uh, if, if you have one, whether you do it or some, or you do it yourself, the bees go into their nesting, find your nesting holes and make a mm -hmm. nest mm -hmm. with the mason, with a little, and then you say, at the end of the, at the end of the season, which would be in early summer, right? You, oh, yes. Good clarification. So no, not so in the fall. I mean, what do you correct? Yes, that's a, that. Thank you. That's a great clarification. Yes. So you're going to remove that nesting block at the end of spring. 
um, to save them over summer. And you're very gently going to remove it and you're going to place the nesting block with the holes upright in a garage or cool shed. That's where now that little larvae is going to spin the cocoon. They're not going to be ready to be harvested and cleaned until October, September, October timeframe. Once they form that cocoon, very good clarifying question. You're not opening up the block and cleaning until the fall. So in the fall, the cocoons are all set, very hardy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You take the box now and you take it apart and Mm -hmm. get the cocoons out of the nests and Mm -hmm. check for the viable ones. And then you put, then you sterilize and clean your mm-hmm. nesting box. Mm-hmm. Then what do you do with the cocoons? You, do you put them mm-hmm. back in the holes? Mm-hmm. That's a good question. You know, I, we just did a flower and garden show and I got that asked that question. Like, what do I do? Do I just put a cocoon in each hole? Yeah. You, That's yeah. a good, it's a good question. No, it's brilliant. So So yes, watch the harvest video on how we harvest and clean. Um, We have this extractor, we called it the Bob Harvester. We invented it and it punches out all the cocoons. We clean them all. And then we store them in a large walk-in refrigerator um, and we duplicate uh, hibernation. So they hibernate over winter. And then we place our cocoons in a PVC pipe, a white PVC pipe. And that's how we ship them to our clients. So in this white PVC... Yeah, just one yeah. Pipe, you just stuff them in there. That's right. So we okay. have a little measuring cup. Each each PVC pipe will have about fifty to sixty cocoons. We put them in the PVC pipe, and then there's a little tape. There's a hole in it with a little piece of tape. You set the block block up, and then you t- take the tape off, and they're just going to fly out of that hole and then pollinate. So oh, so, so the males will just they'll, they'll hatch out early anyway. Yes, that's males. right. The males will come out first. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you can yeah. do that at home too. You can just put them in a... So yeah, if you do it at home, um, you know, it's a really high tech way, but just go get a pudding box or a jello box and stick a hole in it. Put your cocoons <laughs> in there because you can't set loose cocoons on top of your nesting block because it's food for the birds. So you have to protect your cocoons. So, you know, a high tech way, just go get a jello box or a pudding box, poke a hole in it, put the cocoons in there, and then they'll emerge from there. So you're a real mom, you know, that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I have plenty of those lying around. <laughs> well, that sounds good. So this is what uh, rent Mason bees. I actually am going to do that. You, you send, you'll send me in the spring, the, the, the tube mm-hmm. and the nesting box for, so the tube will have all the, the larvae they'll hatch out. And then they'll I'll have, have cocoons. A, yep. The cocoons, right? And then I'll have a nesting box and they'll make mm-hmm. hopefully they'll yeah. come back to where they hatched out and they'll make yeah. and then I send yeah. them back to you. That's right. So okay. our kit, our kits include the black shelter, the nesting block, uh 50 to 60 mason bee cocoons, a bag of clay, because you need that clay for them, and a pack of flower pollinator seeds. Um, and then you just hang that up in a south-facing spot and then they emerge. And then with our program, you get the maintenance. So in September, we're going to, in your kit, going to include a return mailing label. You're going to put the nesting block back into the box that we ship to you and send the nesting block back to us. And then we'll harvest and clean. You keep the black house. That's yours to keep. And then we do all the maintenance for everything. So you're really just hanging, letting your bees pollinate. And then we do all the work. So. Well, this is uh, unbelievable. We're almost out of time here. Is there anything else Uh, you want to add for to plug. No, our, uh, I, I, I just, bees. I'm just so grateful to be able to share and teach more people about solitary bees. And, you know, I think, you know, if, if we have any takeaways, um, just please don't use chemicals and pesticides. Um, please use the proper nesting material for our little solitary bees. And um, yeah, I mean, just enjoy, enjoy your bees, enjoy your little pollinators because, 
you know, pollinators are responsible for one out of every three bites of food that we take. So they're very important to all of us. So and spring, springtime blooming. Yes. Some mason bees are spring, leaf cutter bees are summer. And we have a pollinator package where you can get both. So our kits include both bees. So Tara McElvey, it's been a pleasure for uh representative of the rent mason bees. Uh, I, you, I hopefully, hopefully you've enlightened many people in my listening area of, of the solitary bees. And I thank you for your time. I know you're very busy. Thank oh. you so much. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. So but call me if you guys ever have any questions and, and we love to help and teach. So thank you. you. Certainly will. This is Let's Talk Animals and Hardbarks and Zebras, Dr. John Hunt, your host. And remember, enjoy your pet and don't forget to give them a hug. 